Good morning. It's good to see you all today. Uh, I want to begin this morning by uh, thanking everyone uh, for your, your thoughts, your prayers, your calls, uh, for all your concerns for me and my family. Uh, to all my mothers out there, you know who you are. Uh, thank you for all of your motherly advice and telling me to slow down. I can't promise I'll do that, but uh, thank you for your advice, and I do love you, and despite whether or not I just laughed that off. Um, some things have been on my mind for the last couple of weeks, um, things that have been on some of your minds at times in your life, and uh, that's what I've chosen to talk about today. So keep that in mind in, that, in, in your perspective as we talk about this, because uh, the reason I bring that up is because I'm going to say some things this morning uh, that kind of come right down the lane. And some of you may think, well, we only expect that from you anyway, but I, I'm just going to be very blunt about some things this morning. These are things I think that are serious. They've been on my mind lately, and I hope that the study of the morning will be helpful to you in your service to your God and your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, Riley, for the reading this morning. We read from Psalms chapter 90, and as you notice the reading there, uh, this is a psalm that is a little bit different in the fact that it wasn't written by David. It wasn't written by Asaph or one of the musicians. Uh, this psalm was preserved for a very long time uh, before it was collected into this book of psalms. And it is attributed to Moses, the man that led God's people out of Egyptian bondage. And as Moses begins to look at himself and to look at humanity and he begins to look at God and the eternal nature of God, he says things that really would blow our minds if we consider it. And one of those is, a thousand years are like a day to you. A thousand years is a long time. A long time. I mean, America... <laughs> has existed for about a fourth of a thousand years. We think it's, it seems like it's been here forever, doesn't it? And he says it's like a day that's just passed. It's like yesterday. That's our God. But he said the life of man, it's like the grass. You know, when we lived in East Texas, we got 70 inches of rain a year. We mowed a lot. <laughs> It seems like every time you turn around, there's the grass grown up again. You're like, I just mowed you. And that's how quickly the grass grows. And he says that's what the life of man is like. It's like the grass. It grows up rather quickly and it's cut down. Its lifespan is so short. And he says this. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want us to think about, first off, verses 9 and 10, as, as he says, we finish our years like a sigh. You know, uh, a lot of years bring great joy. There are, I guess, stages of life that, that 
really present themselves differently as we have kids and, and we enjoy those kids and, and later on in life our kids grow up and they move out and things change and we have grandkids and I'm told that's wonderful. And, and it's, it's a different stage of life and there's a lot of joy and there's health and there's energy and all these things that, that come through life and then all of a sudden things start hitting us and we get older and life gets hard. And you know what I'm talking about, some of you. Where you sit around and you look at life and you look at your health and your state and you just go, and I see that. I see that in my grandfather. And I hear this psalm and I read his words and he says, you know, our days are 70 years and if by reason of strength they be 80 What's there to boast in when you reach that age? He says, I'll tell you what there is to boast in. Life is hard, and it's harder work, and it's full of sorrow. And that, my friends, is old age. And it's not fun, but it's reality. That's our life. That's who we are. Our life is finite. We're coming. We're closing down toward an end. And if we do live to be an old age, those years will most likely just be difficult. And so here's the admonition that he gives us. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the question of the morning is, how do you do that? Because I want to be wise, don't you? Do you want to have a heart of wisdom? Well, he says we can do that by numbering our days. And last I checked, I don't know what day I'll die. <laughs> do you? So how do we number our days? And I think if you look at these two verses together, verse 11 and verse 12, he talks about God's anger, he talks about fearing God, fearing God's wrath, and looking at our life in perspective of that. And here's what I think Moses means when he says, teach us to number our days. It's the same thing the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 9.27, where he says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. That's how you number your days. You know, we need to enjoy life and thank God for life, thank God for the blessings, but we also never need to forget that there's an end coming. We just sang a song, Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that? You know what Paul said in the first century? Jesus is coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago nearly. But he believed it. Do we believe it? I'll tell you, he'll be here one of these days, and everybody's going to be surprised. They're going to go, oh, we didn't know he was coming, and there he is. And it's not going to be like that. Oh, well, I didn't expect to see you today. It's going to be a great day of joy and a great day of fear and a day of sorrow for many people. But he's coming. And the only thing that's going to stop our appointment with death is if Jesus comes first. Otherwise, every one of us are going to get put inside of a casket and laid down in the ground. I'll tell you, that's not fun to think about, is it? But considering that brings about wisdom 
in our life. In Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 1, the Bible here records a story. This is also recorded in 2 Kings chapter 20 uh, about Hezekiah. And of all the kings that Israel had, Hezekiah was one of the most righteous, if not the most righteous king that they ever had. He was a man of equity and integrity. He was a man who loved God. And he did a lot of good reform for the kingdom of Israel that brought them back to a good state with God. And as Hezekiah began uh, to draw near to the end, he got a visit by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 38 verse 1, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now look, that's not the news you want to get from a prophet. I mean, the guy's already sick. Life is already difficult, and, and here Isaiah comes to him and says, Look, here's what you need to do. Your death is imminent. You're going to die soon. And what you need to do is make sure that everything in your house is set in order. Do you think that changed Hezekiah's priorities a little bit? That maybe that was an awakening moment? Now listen, Hezekiah was right with God. He was right with God. But he reacted the same way a lot of us would react. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now listen, I might try to say that. <laughs> this guy could say it. This guy could say it. He had. He'd done all those things. And the Lord heard his, his prayer and answered his prayer. But what I want us to think about this morning is here's this man who has given a clock and says, all right, the timer's set. You're about to die. There's some things you need to do. So get it done while there's still opportunity. That probably won't happen for us. But if it did, it'd change our perspective, wouldn't it? Hezekiah didn't want to die. He turned his face toward the wall. He wept bitterly, the Bible says. You know, there's something that really kind of makes logic stand on its head. It's something that Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, where he says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Here's what Solomon is saying. It's better to go to a funeral than to a birthday party. Now, have you ever met somebody that said, man, I love to go to funerals. Uh, that person's not right, okay? Funerals are not fun. They're not enjoyable. They're not pleasurable. And that's not the point that Solomon's making. He's not saying it's great to go to a funeral because it's fun or enjoyable. Birthday parties are, some of them, unless you're your kids and you're stressed, but that's a whole other deal. But birthday parties are a celebration. People are happy and we're thinking about life and celebrating life. Funerals are not that way. 
But he said, you know why it's better to go to a funeral than a birthday party? Look at verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Do you believe that? I'd rather laugh than cry, just being honest. Wouldn't you? But he said, sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. I'll tell you why it's better to sorrow than to laugh. Because sometimes our heart's not right. And it needs to be made whole. Sometimes our heart is sick. And it needs to be made better. And I'll tell you, when we get that phone call, and we found out that someone that we really love has just died, the heart changes. And all of a sudden, we start thinking about life and the fragility of life and the brevity of life. And we start thinking about ourselves because it's the end of all men. And he says, the living will take it to heart. Stare down into the casket of that loved one and tell me you don't think about your end. You don't think about the seriousness of life. It wakes you up. Some of you have gotten those calls that says our tests, they've come back and you got cancer. And your world changes, doesn't it? Changes things. You know, there's a defining moment, I guess you'd say, in my life. Something that just I've never forgotten, I'll never forget, and it was the passing of my uncle. At 45 years old, had a massive heart attack. His heart exploded, and he died there in his kitchen. I'll tell you, that entered my mind about two weeks ago. And I haven't been able to not think about it. How quickly life can just be over. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? That's the question. Are you doing anything about it? Paul said in Ephesians 5 and 14, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This, friends, is how we number our days. This is how we number our days. He says, see then that you walk, that you live your life circumspectly. Okay, circumspectly, circum, like circumference. Those of you who are in school, you know what circumference is, right? All the way around. And speckly, like glasses, spectacles. What's he saying? Walk, walk with vigilance. Be aware. Wake up. Look around you. Look at what's going on. Walk in wisdom. And he says, redeeming the time. You know what that literally means? It means to buy up your time. You know, one of the things that we don't put enough value on is time. How precious time is. You know what we do? You know what I do? Waste a lot of time. 
We waste so much time, and time is precious. And literally what he's saying is make the best use of your time because you don't know what's going to happen. You need to redeem that time because the days are evil. I want to think back to one of the oldest stories in the Bible, uh, back to Noah and the Ark. You know, this is such a familiar story. Uh, it's one of those stories I think we take some of the reality for granted. You know, when Van was born, we set up a nursery for him in our little house over here on Duncan Street, and it was blue, and, and we had the Noah's Ark stuff. I mean, we had the decorations and the bedding, and, and uh, we were down in the cellar the other night at Granny and Papa's house, and I saw a couple of uh, bookends for for books down there that were Noah's Ark. I was like, hey, are those ours? She's like, yeah, those are ours. So, you know, fond memories. But, you know, honestly, Noah's Ark is not a children's story. It's not about fuzzy animals that all joyfully got on a boat and went on a trip. This is a story of God's wrath. When he looked down and saw an entire world that he said was only, the thoughts of man was only evil continually. And you know what he did? He set a timer. God said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. He's wicked. And not like my spirit. Yet his days shall be 100 and 20 years. Let's say that was your clock. That was your timeline you were given. Someone comes to you and says, set your house in order. You've got 120 years. How serious are you going to take it? Cool. <laughs> That's a lot of time. <laughs> 120 years. You know what Noah did for 120 years? You said, well, he built an ark. Well, he did. He built an ark. But you know what else he did? Noah went around and he told everybody about God's coming wrath. Peter says this in 2 Peter 2.5, he says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the ungodly. Noah didn't just build a boat, okay? He built this ark, and he went around and he told people why. Now let me ask you a question. Let's say that you're one of those people, and this guy comes to you, and he says, Water is going to fall from the sky. Well, we go, well, there's nothing strange about that. Well, it would have been then, because <laughs> it never rained on the earth. Imagine it had never rained, and someone told you water was going to fall out of the sky. You'd think, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy, guy. Good luck to you. So you know what they did? They went and lived their life. They ignored him. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. He says, As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know. Didn't know what? Think about this. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also would the coming of the Son of Man be. You ever believe that something was not going to happen and then it happened and then all of a sudden you went, well, now I know. <laughs> That's what he's saying. 
They ignored Noah. They ignored his preaching. They ignored the fact that he was building this ark. They went about living their life, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. They were enjoying life, and then things got real. Things got real. I want you to imagine you're walking one day, a drop of water hits you in the head. And then it gets really heavy. And you start seeing the water come up. And your first thought is, I need to get home and get my wife and kids. Things get real. Maybe you're close to that ark that's being built. And you try to go bang on it a little bit and say, hey, okay, we believe you let us in. But it's not happening. As the waters start rising, you start looking for higher ground, but it doesn't matter because the water just keeps coming up. And pretty soon, you're left with the priority, do I sit here and protect myself or do I hold my kids above my head just long enough so maybe they'll survive longer than I do? And things get real. And I'll tell you, they had 120 years to change. That's a long time to change. But they fell asleep. Not literally, but they fell asleep. They quit looking. They quit believing. They quit watching until things got real. So I want to ask you this morning, are you numbering your days? I want to just consider for a moment that someone came to us just like Hezekiah. And they told you, you were hit with the news, you've got less than two weeks to live. Do you think your life would change? I think that'll help us answer the question, are we really numbering our days? Would life be different if someone told us we just had a couple weeks to live? I think one of the things that would be very different for us is the things that we think are important would not be as important. It would drastically change the way we saw all the things that go on in life. Some things just wouldn't matter, and some things that we've taken for granted would all of a sudden matter even more. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. We might take pleasure in things, that maybe we took for granted. He says, pray without ceasing. You know what would happen if everybody in here was told you had two weeks to live? Some of us would pray like we've never prayed before, and it wouldn't be out of obligation. It wouldn't be because we feel like we need to pray. We'd pray. We'd pour out our soul before our Lord, and the Lord may hear some strange voices And hear things he had not heard in a long time when things got serious. We'd pray and we wouldn't forget. You know what else we'd do? We would thank God. We would just like the song that we often sing when we sing that song, Count Your Blessings. Do we really count our blessings? You know, one of the things that uh, I say I've been privileged to experience in my work is going to the hospitals and... And seeing older brethren, older sisters 
who have lived a very long life and to hear them talk about what they're thinking about in the last moments of their life. You know what most of them are thinking about? How blessed they've been. Isn't that amazing? And how they had taken all those things for granted for many years and now they see it. Now they realize. But you know what? We don't have to wait until we're on our deathbed to appreciate what God has given us. If we would truly understand who we are and how fragile life is and enjoy it and appreciate it, you know what we'll do? We'll hit our knees and we'll thank God for everything that He does for us every single day. Something else that we would do if we knew our time was short is we would develop a deep love and appreciation for God's Word. You know, of probably all the things that we take for granted in life, God's Word is one of the greatest. How many times do we just look at it, just sit there and look at it sitting on a table collecting dust and don't pick it up? And when we read it, we just read it, but we don't really love it. You know, as David spoke about God's Word and he expressed his appreciation for God's Word, you read Psalms 119, which is the longest chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And the entire chapter is about how much David loved God's Word. David said, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. God's word would be precious to us. And we wouldn't go, yeah, I'll get around to it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll study your word, Lord. I'll do that later, though. You know why? Because later is not there. We'd love it. You know something else we wouldn't do? We wouldn't find excuses to not be at the assembly. We just wouldn't. I recognize sometimes people are sick and can't make it. I realize sometimes work hits and we've got important jobs and and work takes us away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times when you just wake up and you go, you know what, I just don't feel like going to church today, so I just don't go. But you know what? If we only had a couple of weeks to live, if we only had a few months to live, every time that we had an opportunity to assemble with the saints, you know where we'd be? With the saints. Because we'd understand how important it was. I want you to listen to the Hebrew writer as he talks about the coming together of the saints. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is... He who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what? It wouldn't just be that we'd be at the assemblies of the church. If we just had a few weeks to live, you know what we'd do? We would sing. And we'd mean it. And we'd praise God. And we'd listen to His Word and we would would listen to it and we'd be hungry and thirsty 
And we'd look around and we'd see all the people in our life. And you know what we wouldn't do? We wouldn't take them for granted. And we wouldn't just let their encouragement roll off of us. But we'd think about what they said. And we'd think about what they meant to us. Because it would be that important. And I'm telling you, you don't have to wait until you're about to die to do that. Because all that's true right now. But it'd wake us up. I'll tell you another thing we wouldn't do. We wouldn't be afraid to look at our life. I want you to really think about that. If we had two weeks to live, would you think about your life? Think about your deeds. Think about what you've done, what you haven't done. You know, the apostle tells us, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. How often do we do that? How many times do we just stop and go, am I right with God? Am I living right? Am I doing right? And we look into the mirror of God's word. He says, test yourselves. Look, I don't want to do that. I don't want to look at my life. I don't want to look at the weaknesses and the problems and the sins. And I don't want to do that, but it's good for us to do that. I hate tests. <laughs> I nearly sat at the house and died of a heart attack because I didn't want to go to the hospital because I hate tests. We think ignorance is bliss. Maybe if I just don't have somebody tell me something's wrong, it, there's nothing wrong. There might be some things that are wrong. And I'll tell you, until you figure out what's wrong, you can't fix it. And if we knew we had a short time to live, we'd be looking in that mirror and we'd be going, okay, let's get this figured out. Because I'm not going to die being wrong with God. We test ourselves. In Acts 24, and verse 24, the Apostle Paul was talking to a ruler whose name was Felix. And uh, the Bible records in some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewish, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, I want you to think about that. This man considered what Paul said about Jesus. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. He was afraid. You know what? That's what happens when you examine yourself. When you think about who God is and you think about the words that Moses spoke this morning as he said, we think about your wrath and we think about the fear that we should have. We think about your anger. We think about our days. That's what Felix was doing. And he was afraid. But he said, go away. When I have a more convenient time, I'll holler at you. How many times do we do that? How many times do we actually look in the mirror and we, we, we take the test? We examine our life and we go, that's not right. I don't need that in my life. This is just not convenient though. I'll work on that later. What if there's not a later? 
This man was banking on later. I mean, just saying the statement, when I have a more convenient time. Are we really that in control? I'll tell you, sometimes things happen and they, they make you understand you're really not in control. Not like you think you do. And time is one of those things you really have no control over. You've got control over how you use your time, but how much time you've got, you have no control over that. You know, there's another man that Paul got to speak before, actually a king. And uh, as he was talking to a man named Festus and also to Agrippa, he said, For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the prophets, talking about the evidence. And he says, For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since these things were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Is that us? I'll tell you, when death is staring at us in the face... We become persuaded. We're not almost persuaded any longer. Agrippa was almost persuaded. You know why he was almost persuaded? Because he's a king. He's a rich man who's used to getting his way and enjoying life. And you know what? There's some things about becoming a Christian that just don't seem that good to a person who thinks they've got a lot more years to enjoy not being a Christian. Paul, in writing in Galatians 5 and 19, says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll tell you another thing we would not do. We would not procrastinate when we know that we need to repent. Now listen, I understand there's some change that happens within us that is gradual, and it takes time. But there are also certain things that we could change today. We could just stop doing those things. We could stop doing them right now. And all it takes is willpower. That's it. It doesn't need a bunch of gradual change. It just needs to happen now. We just have to make a decision and change it. And I'll tell you something that I see from people. I see from people sometimes that when they're close to the end of their life, they're able to put aside an addiction that they've had for years and years and years just by making a decision and using some willpower. You know why? Because that addiction's not important when they're face-to-face -face with death and know they're about to go meet Jesus. Somebody who thought that they would always be addicted to pornography puts it down right there at the end of life and says, I'll never look at it again. You know why? Things got serious. It wasn't that they couldn't do it. It's that they just never felt like they had to until things got serious. 
You know the things he mentions here. Adultery. You know what people don't do? You know what a believer in God doesn't do when he's got two weeks to live? He doesn't go out and cheat on his spouse. People that are having sex, unmarried, he talks about fornication here. I'll tell you, when they realize that they're going to have to meet the Lord soon, they're not going to continue doing that. People that have hated people for a long time, that have had contentions with people, people who've held grudges are able to let those grudges go because they know they're about to leave the world and they understand that the relationship is more important than the grudge. And they just let it go. I've seen it. That's people's dying wish many times. They want to bring to, to themselves some family member they've been fighting with for 40 years so they can make things right before they die because things got serious. You know what Moses is telling us? You could live that way today. Because here's the reality. Your days are already numbered. You just need to start numbering them. You just need to understand who you are. You know another thing people wouldn't do? They wouldn't wait. They wouldn't wait. Ananias asked Paul in Acts twenty two sixteen, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I'll tell you, there's another encounter that I had years ago, very vivid in my mind, something I don't think I'll ever forget. We, we, Sean Zebalk and I were in New Mexico, and we were studying with three men. And uh, the oldest was the uncle of the other two. And uh, I'll tell you, they, they were shook, just like uh, Felix was shaken by looking at Jesus Christ and looking at his life. These people were shaken. They knew this is time to change. This is time to get right. And they were about ready to go do it. And one of the guys asked, he says, I got a question. It was the uncle, actually, the oldest one. He said, uh, if I become a Christian, does that mean that I, and I'm going to be discreet, can't go commit fornication anymore? And I said, that's exactly what it means. No, you, you can't go practice that anymore. He said, oh, well, I'm out then. I'm out. You know what he thought? I'm just not ready yet. I'm still doing that. I, I enjoy that, and I want to keep doing that. And if, if that's what it, I'm not going to do that. People come up with all kinds of excuses to not obey the gospel of Christ. Well, my job's not. Well, you know... Jesus encountered people like that. Let me go bury my father. Let me go prove my land. And Jesus said, any man that puts his hand toward the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What if we knew we didn't have time to wait? Would we wait? Absolutely not. We'd understand this is the moment. This is the time that I've got. And we would get persuaded and the only thing that would matter would be being right with our God, and we wouldn't wait another second. I want to close today with James chapter 4. And I want us to really, really think about what James says here. James says, come now. 
Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Now, let me, I want to stop right there for a moment. Is it wrong to make plans? Is it wrong to be wise in your business and, and look out ahead and try to figure out what you need to do? Well, no, of course not. But listen to what he says. Listen to verse 14 and 15. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? I'll tell you, that's a good question. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For what you ought to say, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Was he condemning plans? No. I'll tell you what he was condemning. The arrogance that he mentions in verse 16, the arrogance of thinking we are in control of our life. Truth is, if the Lord doesn't will that we live tomorrow, we won't do anything except for stand before Him. You walk out into the February air of West Texas and breathe a hot breath of air and that vapor comes out of your mouth. You know, the kids think that's really cool. <laughs> But how quickly does it disappear? He said, that's your life. You may not have a tomorrow. You may not have a year to buy and sell and get gain. You may just have a moment. Because that's your life. It's a moment. It's here. And then it's gone. Friends, this morning, I want to ask you to number your days. And to test yourself and to look at your life. And if there's not something right in your life today, walk in wisdom. Start making the changes that you need to make today. If you're not a child of God, if you've been waiting to obey the gospel, understand this. People leave this world every single day. You know what they've got? Plans. Go look at their calendars. You know what you'll see? Appointments, birthdays, anniversaries, upcoming work events. Everybody that dies has plans. What you need to make sure you've planned for is your appointment with Jesus Christ. If you have something you need to change today, come have a seat as we stand and we sing.